Hi, I'm Poppin' Fresh, the Pillsbury Doughboy. Pizza, pizza. Feed me now! I'm starving! By the way, ladies and gentlemen, as always, this stuff in lieu of actual entertainment. Alrighty then, hello and welcome back. This is Storytime and I am Gamer Dude. Glad to have you with us for some more stories today. This week's topic, food. Ah, food. One of our favorite topics. Who doesn't love food? I know we love our food in the stream. We talk about it all of the time. How many times have we talked about food? Like, every night? Just about? (laughs) Well, we did an episode about food last season, and as I said, I wanted to do more episodes about food and more talking about baking and cooking and things that we all enjoy. So that's why we're doing an episode on baking today. It's mostly baking. I mean, we're going to talk about other things as well. But what my plan is, is to give you some comfort with the idea of baking. Because people say, oh, I'd love some fresh baked cookies. Or I'd love to make a loaf of bread. Or I'd like to make a pie or a cake or something. But they're afraid to do it. Dude, it's not hard. It's not hard. You can can do it. You can really do it. It's not hard. You just have to have the confidence to do it. And I want to tell you, I got the confidence when I was a kid because as I said in the first episode about food, my mom and my dad took the time to show me how to bake, how to cook, how to prepare food for myself, not only for the family at the time, but so that I would have these skills in the future. And so I developed a confidence at an early age on how to bake and not to be scared to try things in the kitchen. So I want to tell you some of the stories about the things we cooked when I was a kid. And I want to tell you some of the tips that I've learned over the years so that you have kind of a comfort level with doing this yourself. You can do it because there's nothing better than something fresh baked. And it tastes so good when you do it yourself. There's something about your labor making something tasty come out of the oven like magic. So I want to share that with you. And the last thing we're going to share today is a chocolate chip cookie recipe. Yes, I'm giving you a recipe. I have faith in you being able to do this yourself based on everything that I'm talking about today and just based on the fact that I believe in you. You can do this. Now, as I said, I learned a lot about cookies and cakes and pies, and I was very confident with baking a lot of things because my parents showed me how and I took the time and learned to do it. But there were still some things, and to this day, there are still some things that I haven't mastered yet, and I am going to. I am going to master them. Someday. (laughs) Pie crusts are very, very difficult. I've tried making pie crusts from scratch, and they're, they're hard to do. So I will admit to cheating when I make pies. I buy pie crusts at the store. I found the Pillsbury pie crust very, very useful. It works really, really well. You can make it look pretty, put it in your pie plate, and then you can crimp the edges by that. It means make it look really cool. You could use like a spoon to put indentations or just take the dough and pinch it and you have little ridges. You know how pies have those ridges around the edge? All you have to do is take your first two fingers and your thumb, you pinch the dough, boom, ridges all the way around the pie pan. It's easy. So I do cheat with my pie crusts because they're very, very difficult to get right and I've still not gotten one right. But that doesn't mean I'm going to stop trying. I just don't make a lot of pies anymore, so I just go buy the pie crust. It's easier. The other thing, and I've talked about it in stream, the other thing that I've never mastered is biscuits. My mother and my grandmother could throw flour in a bowl, 
throw some vegetable shortening in there. By that, I mean like Crisco. You know those big cans of vegetable shortening in the baking aisle at the supermarket? That's vegetable shortening. That's what my mother used, shortening and flour and baking powder. And somehow or other, she waved her magic mom fingers over this concoction and biscuits came out. And oh my, there is nothing better than a homemade biscuit. Oh, I don't know what she did. It was flour. It was baking soda. It was shortening, all blended together with that mom magic. And they came out of the oven so tasty and good. Oh, a warm biscuit with dinner. Yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. (laughs) That's how good it was. But the thing that she would do with them, you would have just a biscuit with dinner and that was fine. But then she would convert these just plain ordinary biscuits into an amazing dessert by pairing them with fresh strawberries and whipped cream. But she didn't just leave the strawberries fresh. She would take the fresh strawberries, slice them in half, and then sprinkle them with sugar and let them set because the sugar makes the strawberries not only sweeter, but juicier. So you would have these fresh, juicy strawberries in a bowl, and then you'd have these fresh baked biscuits. So you'd take a biscuit, put it on your plate, split it open. You'd take a spoonful of the fresh, juicy strawberries, put half on one half of the biscuit, half on the other half of the biscuit, throw a dollop of whipped cream on top of that. Oh my God. I remember that taste. That was such a great dessert. Oh, mom knew how to make a dessert. My mom's strawberry shortcake, which is what she called it. It's not technically shortcake because it's just strawberries on a biscuit, but she called it strawberry shortcake. And that was one of the only non-chocolate desserts that my dad loved. He loved my mom's strawberry shortcake. And so did I. Oh, so good. But to this day, I have yet to master her way of making biscuits. I, I don't know how she did it. But one day, along with my pie crusts, one day I will get those biscuits right. One of the ways to get things right is to do them right, to know how to do them, and to try things, and to just try it. Just go out and try it. And I've had failed biscuits before, but I'll get them right. But I've had failed cookies. I've had failed pies. I've had failed cakes. There was one time where where we mistakenly substituted in vinegar for water because it was supposed to be a teaspoon of vinegar and a cup of water, and instead... It became a teaspoon of water and a cup of vinegar. And as you might imagine, the cake that resulted from that, it was not particularly tasty. No. The dreaded vinegar cake has gone down in Gamer Dude family history as one of those errors you'll never forget. And it was as gross as you might imagine it would be. But that's by trial and error. You try things and you make mistakes and you correct them the next time. You don't do it again, that's all. So what I wanted to give you was some tips for your own baking. These are things that I've learned over the years, and I thought if you want to try it, I'm going to give you some tools in your tool chest to work with. Remember last season we gave you some tools for your manners tool chest? Today, today we're giving you tools for your baking tool chest. I'm giving you lots of tool chests in this, in this podcast, so just stack them up and use them as you see fit. If you're going to do some baking... The first thing I recommend is you always have the basics in stock. And when I say basics, I'm talking about the basic ingredients for cookies, cakes, pies, breads. This is the stuff you're going to need. You'll need flour. 
You don't necessarily need a name brand flour. You can go with Hecker's. You can go with Pillsbury. But you know what? Get the local supermarket brand that works. I always buy it in the five-pound bag because you use a lot of flour if you're baking. Same thing with sugar, white granulated sugar. I get that in the five-pound bag because you use a lot of sugar if you're baking from scratch. You'll need a box of baking soda and a can of baking powder. Soda and powder are different. They both create the chemical reaction that makes cookies or breads or cakes rise, but powder you need to have salt to go with it. And you'll see the recipes call for baking powder and salt or baking soda. They rarely call for both, but sometimes they do because you want that extra effervescence in the dough. You'll need eggs. You'll need butter. I prefer butter over every other fat because butter is a fat that you use in baking. But some recipes call for shortening, and you use the shortening if the recipe calls for it. But some recipes say butter or margarine or shortening. I always go with butter because the flavor is so much better. Yes, I know it's bad for you, but (laughs) it's so good. Use the butter. Trust me. I always keep extract of vanilla in the cupboard, too. Vanilla adds flavor, too, and you need that flavor. You can never have too much vanilla. Okay, maybe not never, but vanilla is so good. Plus the smell. Just open the bottle. Oh, vanilla. Oh, it's so good. So those are the very basic ingredients you'll want in your cabinet if you're going to do any kind of baking. There's obviously more than that, and each recipe is different. I didn't mention brown sugar, for instance. You'll want brown sugar, especially for the recipe I'm going to give you at the end of this episode. Brown sugar is essential for certain things that you bake, but it's not required. For instance, just a plain sugar cookie, you don't need brown sugar for. But in some instances, you do. And there's light brown sugar and dark brown sugar. And sometimes the recipes very specifically call for one or the other. So if you're going to use a recipe, make sure you read what the recipe calls for and get that one when you go to the store. Always get your ingredients and have them lined up before you start any baking. You don't want to be halfway through a recipe and realize, oh, I forgot the eggs. I got to go get the eggs. Damn it. Because baking is kind of like chemistry. Once you put the chemicals in, the reactions start. And if you don't get the dough done or the batter done or the mix done and put in the oven then things go wrong internally and the cake doesn't rise or the cookies are flat or or something goes wrong and the flavor's not quite right. So you want to have everything set up before you start baking. Not only are you going to want to have everything lined up before you start baking, a lot of chefs recommend that you pre-measure your ingredients. So if the recipe calls for a cup of flour, a cup of sugar, two eggs, you measure things out and put it in a separate container and stack them all up in order on your countertop So that you can just grab the sugar, grab the flour, grab the powder, grab the eggs and throw them in in sequence according to the recipe. You can do it that way. Some of us don't have eternal counter space. Some of us don't have professional kitchens. I mean, you could set up an ironing board and stack stuff on it or a tray table next to the counter if you really want to do it that way. But you don't necessarily have to pre-measure your ingredients. It's handy and it speeds things up. But for me, the downside is, okay, I'm putting a cup of sugar in a bowl. I'm putting a cup of flour in another bowl. I'm putting a teaspoon of salt in another cup. And I'm putting a teaspoon of soda in another cup. I've dirtied 74 dishes to make a batch of cookies. I don't necessarily need to do that. I'll just scoop out of the container. That's my preference. But if you want to be like a professional chef, you can measure things out and put them all in separate containers and have it all laid out before you while you're doing it. I don't need to do 74 dishes to make a batch of cookies. My preference. Now, I did give you tips 
last season on how to cream butter and how to mix things together. I'm not going to go over that again. Just look for the episode from last season on Food Glorious Food. I think that's what we called it, right? Uh, Whichever one is the food episode, I gave you tips on creaming butter. I'm not going to go over that again, but make sure you do what the recipe calls for. If it says cream the butter, make sure you know how to cream the butter. If it just says mix the butter, that's an entirely different process. So just make sure that when you're reading your recipe, you do what the recipe says. If the recipe says sift your dry ingredients, you'll want to invest in an actual sifter. What is a sifter? Essentially, it's a cup with a screen at the bottom and a little wheel or bar, depending on the sifter that you have, that mixes the dry ingredients together and breaks up any lumps that might be in them, sometimes flour or soda or powder gets lumpy. So when you sift it all together, it smooths it all out. It also helps blend the dry ingredients better. So if the recipe says sift, sift. And what you do is you pour your cup of flour into the sifter and then turn the handle or shake it or whatever mechanism you have for your particular sifter. Use that to do the sifting. The recipe is also going to call for a time to cook nine to 10 minutes. 10 to 12 minutes. They build these ranges into the recipe because they know not all ovens cook at the same heat or at the same rate. And depending on the altitude at which you live, that can also affect cooking time as well. I know, believe it or not, if you live higher, like in Denver, Colorado, which is Mile High City, your cooking times will vary than if you're at sea level. It's weird, I know. So that's why they give you the range, 9 to 10 minutes, 10 to 12 minutes, 12 to 15 minutes, whatever it is. Whenever I have a time, I always set the timer, and that's another investment, by the way. If your oven doesn't have a built-in timer or you don't have Alexa nearby where you can say, Alexa, 10 minutes, please, get one of those little timers that you turn the dial and it goes up to 10 minutes and wait for the bell to ring. But when I set the timer, I always set it for a minute less, and then I peek in the oven and see if it looks like it's close to done. If it is, then I'll do whatever test is appropriate. And when I say whatever test is appropriate, cookies have one kind of test, cakes have another kind of test, pies have another kind of test. And by test, I mean test for doneness. You pull the cookies out, you take a look at them. Do they look doughy? Do they look wet? Do they look like they're not quite done yet? Put them back in for another minute or two. If you're not used to how long to bake cookies, go a minute at a time. So you can keep an eyeball on them because you don't want to burn them. With a cake, the done test is the toothpick test. Some people use the spring test. By that, I mean touch the top of the cake with your thumb, push it down a little. If it springs back, it's supposed to be done. I've found for me, it's more effective to use the toothpick test. You take a toothpick, you push it in the center of the cake, pull it out. If it comes out clean, the cake is done. If it doesn't, if there's stuff sticking to the toothpick, that means you need to bake for another minute or two. And with a pie, depending on the pie, pumpkin pies are different than fruit pies, but depending on the pie, you take a look at it, and if it looks like the center is not quite firmed up enough, and it's an eyeball thing, you kind of get the feel for it, but if it doesn't look like it's quite firmed up enough, you give it another minute. If you have a pie with an upper crust, because not all pies have an upper crust, some do, some don't, you take a look, if the stuff is bubbling out of the hole or out of the slits, you're probably done. Of course, you want to make sure the upper crust has a golden tint to it, because it's been baking. If it's pure white, it's probably not done yet. I know, it sounds like a lot to remember, right? Well, I'm trying to give you everything that I've got, but in a capsulized version. So if you are actually baking, you can go back and listen to this and go, oh yeah, that's what Gamer Dude meant. Okay, I get it. Yeah, I get it. 
Now, a couple of more tips about the process of putting the batter together. Two things that are important. When measuring dry ingredients, it depends on the ingredient, how you're going to measure it. What do I mean by that? Well, this. If you're measuring flour, I've seen too many people do this. If you scoop your one cup measuring cup into your flour container and pull it out and pack it down like on the counter or tap it with a fork or a knife and fill it up so that it's packed in firm, you don't want to do that with flour. Flour takes up a lot of space and when you pack it down, you're putting actually too much flour into a one cup measure. You don't pack flour because it makes the dough too heavy, too thick, and it doesn't absorb correctly. So you just scoop the flour in the one cup measure and use a knife to level the cup off and that's it. Don't pack your flour. The exact opposite is true for brown sugar. You scoop your brown sugar, but you pack the brown sugar into the one cup measure. Why? Because there's too much space if you just scoop brown sugar and it's lumpy and kind of moist. So you want to pack it all in there to make sure you're getting a full cup of brown sugar. And again, because it's a chemical reaction, you want to make sure the measures are accurate. And the other thing is with your dry ingredients, like the flour mixture, you'll see in most recipes, you're going to have what's called the wet side and the dry side or the wet mix and the dry mix. The wet side consists of the butter and the sugar and the eggs and the vanilla, all the wet ingredients, which you've blended in the big bowl. That's usually what you start with and you keep that separate. Then there's the dry side and that's where you've mixed the flour and the baking powder or the baking soda and the salt, and any other dry ingredients that you're mixing in there, you have that in a separate bowl. And what you're going to do is you're going to mix those dry ingredients in with the wet ingredients to form the batter. You do the dry ingredients just a little bit at a time. You don't dump the whole thing in there. Number one, because it creates a big cloud of dry ingredients all throughout the kitchen. That's messy. We don't want that. Extra cleanup. We don't need that. But number two, it doesn't absorb as easily. So you want to put in like a cup at a time. You just pour a little in, mix, 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 pour in a little more, mix, 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 until it's all blended. It gives you a much smoother batter and makes it that much easier to handle the batter once it's all done. So those are the basics for baking. Is there so much more to tell you? Oh my God, yes. There is so much more I could tell you about baking. But this isn't a baking podcast. This is just a story podcast. So I'm telling you stories that I've learned over the years that I've been baking. And I hope they're helpful to you. And of course, if you have questions, you can message me and I'll answer your questions. It's not like I'm Julia Child or the Galloping Gourmet. I'm just a gamer dude who knows how to use a mixer in an oven. But I've done it a lot, so I'm happy to help you. And towards that end, towards that end of helping you, I'm going to give you a very basic chocolate chip cookie recipe that I know you can do using the little tips that I've given you here. Now, last season, I gave you a recipe for a very basic sauce. I hope you tried it. I hope it worked for you. Now I'm going to give you the recipe for dessert. I'll wait a second while you grab a piece of paper and a pencil so you can write this down. I'm going to give you the ingredients and I'm going to walk you through how to mix it all together. Yeah, I know. Nothing like a verbal recipe show, right? (laughs) No demos, no pictures. I'm just telling you how to do it. But you know what? You can do it. I know you can. So here's what you're going to need for your cookies. This is the ingredient list. You're going to lay all this out on the counter. If you want to pre-measure it, go ahead. Or just lay the ingredients out and pull them out as you need them. Just line them up on the counter in a row. So you're going to need a cup of salted butter. When I say salted butter, that's the way butter usually comes. If you look at the butter that you buy at the store, you'll see the pack of butter says lightly salted. 
You can buy it unsalted, but most butter that you'll buy, if you just grab the butter at the store, it says lightly salted. That's what I mean when I say salted butter. So you're going to get a cup of butter. That's two sticks. You're going to get a cup of white granulated sugar. You're going to get a cup of light brown sugar, packed. Just like I said, packed. Pack it in that cup. You'll need two teaspoons of pure vanilla extract. Don't get the imitation vanilla. Invest in the pure, natural, real vanilla. Don't get the fake stuff. Use the good stuff. You're going to need two large eggs. You're going to need three cups of regular flour, all-purpose flour, white flour, whatever they call it in your store, three cups of all-purpose flour. Now, this is one of these recipes that calls for both baking soda and baking powder. So you're going to get a teaspoon of baking soda and a half teaspoon of baking powder and a teaspoon of sea salt. It doesn't have to be sea salt. You can use Morton's if you want to. But the sea salt gives it just a little extra flavor. I write sea salt because I like sea salt, but you can use Morton's. And then, of course, the most important part, you need a bag of chocolate chips. Most recipes call for two cups. That's essentially one bag of chocolate chips. You can use whatever kind of chocolate chips you want. You can use Hershey's. You can use Nestle's. You can use the semi-sweet, the milk chocolate, the dark chocolate, whatever chips you want. Obviously, will change the flavor, but you can use whatever chips you want. You could use the chips, you can use the chunks, you can use the mini chips. You can get a hunk of chocolate and chop it up yourself if you want to. You just need two cups of it. One bag is the best measure there is. And of course, to do the baking, you need a baking pan. So get a baking pan ready too, like a cookie sheet. They're called cookie sheets. It's just a flat hunk of metal that you throw in the oven. You probably have one. You usually warm your pizza up on it, I'm sure. But you're actually going to make cookies on it this time. So turn your oven up to 375. Let the oven preheat while you're mixing all this stuff together. Now remember, I told you there's a dry side and a wet side. I usually prefer to do the wet side first. That's just my methodology. But you can do the dry side first, too. If you want to do the dry side, get it out of the way. You're going to put the flour, the soda, the salt, the baking powder, all in a bowl together. Stir it up and let it set. That's the easy part. Just let it set there. Nothing's going to happen to it because you haven't put any moisture in there to start the chemical reaction between the powder and the salt and the soda and the flour. You can leave the dry ingredients off to the side. They'll be fine. Then you're going to do the wet side. You're going to take the butter. You're going to make sure it's room temperature. By room temperature, I mean room temperature. Don't do this with cold butter. It won't work. You're going to cream the butter until it's soft. Remember I told you you put it in the bowl and you use the back of a spoon and you get it all soft and fluffy and spread out. That's how you cream butter. That's what you're going to do. And then you're going to take the sugars, both of them, the white sugar and the light brown sugar, and you're going to do the same thing with the back of the spoon, spreading that sugar into the butter. Yes, you can use a mixer to do this too. I prefer the hand method because I think that I work it in more efficiently than the mixer. But if you really want to use the mixer, go ahead, use the mixer. You're going to need the mixer anyway, because after you get the creaming part done, you do need to use a mixer to get the rest of the mixing done properly. So you got the butter and the sugars all creamed, and you have one nice smooth thing of sugary butter, or maybe it's buttery sugar, but it's sitting there in your mixing bowl. Crack your two eggs, throw the eggs in there. Take your two teaspoons of vanilla, drop them in there. Mix. Get it all nice and smooth. It's going to be kind of a golden brown after you have it all smoothly mixed together. After that's all blended together, and it's going to take you, I'm going to say, three to four minutes to mix all of this wet stuff together and make it all nice and smooth. You don't have to have the mixer on high. You can have it on the lowest speed. Just make sure it's all mixed together. Then you're going to grab that bowl with all your dry ingredients in it, and you're going to pour about a third of it into the wet mix and blend it with the mixer. 
Make sure it's all smooth. Make sure all of the dry stuff is absorbed. This is where you would use one of my favorite kitchen tools, the rubber spatula. It's the thing that you use to scrape the stuff off the side of the bowl without getting it caught in the beaters and make sure all of the dry stuff is blended in. Then you're going to take the bowl of dry stuff and pour another third of it in and make sure it all mixes up. Do the same thing. After that's all mixed up, dump the rest of the bowl in. Mix it all up. Blend it. Now you have cookie dough batter. You've heard of chocolate chip cookie dough? That's it. That's what's in your bowl right there. The only thing missing is the chocolate chips. And this is where the magic happens. Go grab your bag of chocolate chips. Open it up. Pour it in. Now, some people differ on how they like to mix their chocolate chips in. I don't have a problem using the electric mixer to do this because I think it actually chops up the chips a little bit and then you spread more chocolate through the batter. So it's really good that way. That's my opinion. Some people like to mix the chocolate chips in just using a spoon so that they're spread a little more evenly and not chopped up. It's entirely up to you how you mix the chips in, but you just want to make sure the chips are spread throughout the dough. Now you have a bowl of chocolate chip cookie dough. You're going to want to dig into that bowl with a spoon. I am not advocating that you do that. That would be bad. Eating uncooked cookie dough is bad for you. Bad, bad, bad. I am warning you not to do that. Even if you have used pasteurized eggs, I still do not advocate eating that cookie dough. It is bad, bad, bad. But I do it all the time. Just saying. Just saying. But assuming you don't partake of the cookie dough, you're going to take a teaspoon or a tablespoon, or if you want uniform big cookies, get an ice cream scoop and scoop out the dough and then drop it onto the cookie sheet two inches apart. Why two inches? Because the dough is going to spread out and the cookies are going to touch if they're too close together. You don't want that. You want separate cookies. So go two inches apart every time you drop a spoonful of dough on the sheet. You can probably fit 12 to 15 cookies on a standard cookie sheet. Once they're all set, slide the cookie sheet into the oven. You're going to set your timer for eight minutes. They should be done in between eight to 10 minutes, depending on your oven. Check them at eight minutes. If they look like cookies, pull them out at eight minutes. If they're still a little white, a little doughy looking, put them in for another minute. The key is taking them out when they're just starting to turn brown. Because when you take them out of the oven, you're going to put the cookie sheet on top of the oven or on a cooling rack, even better. And you're going to let them set there for two minutes. Why? Because they're going to finish cooking during that two-minute period as the sheet cools down. There's still going to be some cooking going on. If they're too, too brown, you'll have a cookie that's just a little too crispy. So that's why you take them out and let them set for two minutes. After the two minutes is up, you want to take them off the cookie sheet because you want to stop that cooking process. You don't want them getting too crispy. There's two things to do with them when you take them off the cookie sheet. One of two things. You can use a spatula, a metal spatula, not the rubber one, a metal spatula to lift them off the cookie sheet and place them either on a cookie rack if you have one. It's a little rack that rises above the counter and you put the cookies on it to cool. Or, as my mother used to do, take a sheet of wax paper, put it on the counter, and slide the cookies onto the wax paper. I don't know why she used wax paper instead of a cooling rack, because we had both, but my mother always used wax paper, so that's generally what I use to this day. Either way is effective. I guess it depends on what you have in your kitchen. And then you can either eat them warm, or put them in a cookie jar or a Tupperware container and seal them up. And don't forget the tip that I gave you last time. Put a piece of white bread in there with them, because that will keep them soft. 
That's my grandma's tip, and it has worked to this day. A piece of white bread in your cookie jar keeps the cookies soft. And look at that. You've made a batch of chocolate chip cookies. Before I end this episode, I wanted to give you one of the weirdest little tips that I have for baking. If you have a recipe that calls for buttermilk, you do not need to go out and buy a pint of buttermilk so that you have a cup of buttermilk to use in a recipe. You can make your own buttermilk at home. I learned this years and years and years ago, and I've never forgotten it because it's so weird. Here's what you do. You get your one cup measure out. All you need is lemon juice or vinegar. Take a tablespoon of either lemon juice or vinegar. White vinegar, not cider vinegar. And most folks have white vinegar or lemon juice. If you have to go out to the store to get those, you might as well just go get the buttermilk. Take a tablespoon of lemon juice or a tablespoon of white vinegar and put it in the measuring cup. Then get regular white milk, just regular milk, and top up the cup all the way to the top for a cup. Let it sit for five minutes. Boom, buttermilk. Is it truly buttermilk? It's not true buttermilk. We know that. But it's the perfect substitute so you don't have to rush out and go find buttermilk somewhere. So if you're making buttermilk biscuits or buttermilk pancakes or anything that needs buttermilk, that's how you do it without having to go get buttermilk. The stuff you learn and the stuff that stays with you. I hope now you know where to get buttermilk and I hope your cookies came out. Let me know if they did. Go ahead, you can do it. Try them, you can do it. I know you're thinking about it. Try it. You can do it. And while I wait for you to try, we'll wrap things up for this week because that's going to do it for this episode of Storytime. Thank you so much for indulging me. Thanks for listening. Thanks for being here. I can't thank you enough for all the support you give me, and I do appreciate it. Until next time, you take care of yourselves, and I'll see you when I see you.